Welcome, warriors. In this episode, I had the privilege of talking to Kathy Jo Lang, coach, lactation consultant, and children's book author. In our conversation, she shared her experiences with postpartum depression, her treatment, and how she is now helping others as a thriver. Grab a tissue and join us as we talk about the trauma of postpartum depression. Let's rock. Does your past haunt you? Maybe you're in a storm that feels like it will never end. Are you fighting a battle that's rendering you hopeless? Maybe you feel like you're fighting alone, but your battle was not meant to be a solo endeavor. You were meant to be a warrior among warriors. My name is Heather, and I grew up thinking my battles were nobody's business until I found myself in an abusive marriage and felt cut off from all avenues of help. In this podcast, you will hear warriors' words. They will tell you of their battles, both won and lost, their journeys, and their lessons learned along the way. But we don't stop there. These warriors will share how they have applied those lessons to go from warrior to survivor to thriver. Whether it's an abusive marriage, illness, mental health crisis, or any number of traumas this world dishes out, these warriors will use their words to help you find the beauty in your broken, move beyond your battles, and become the thriver God created you to be. Pick up your sword or boxing gloves and join the battle. Your words are powerful, my friends. Make them warrior words. Welcome back to the Warrior Words Podcast. Today I'm talking with Kathy Jo Lang about postpartum depression. Kathy Jo is the owner of Kathy Jo Lang LLC, where she uses coaching, training, and speaking to support, educate, and inspire. She works with individuals, small groups, and large audiences to create, work toward, and accomplish their goals, living their best lives. She is also a wife, mom, and grandma, a registered nurse, IBCLC, children's book author, Maxwell Leadership Certified Coach, Trainer, and Speaker. You will hear what postpartum depression is like and the importance of seeking help. Before we get started, here is another encouraging review. This one is from 28 Fair. Insightful. Listening helped me to reflect on my personal life and how important it is to share thoughts feelings, and insecurities with trusted people. There is power in words. This podcast is empowering and worth listening to. Absolutely. I think this one was perfect for this particular episode about how important it is to share your thoughts and what you're going through. Thank you very much, 28 Fair. Now, on to the show. Okay, as you heard in the intro, it is my pleasure to have Kathy Jo Lang with us today. Welcome to Warrior Words, Kathy Jo. Thank you, Heather. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm glad that you you gave your time to be here today. So you shared with me earlier that that you've experienced multiple traumas. And um, as I talk to more and more people, I'm learning that that's kind of the way it is. Trauma just does not seem to be a one and done kind of scenario. And um, I think maybe we're all misinformed or mis- misled that that's just how it goes, but it's it's definitely not. But um, in our time today, um, I'd like to talk to you about your battle with postpartum depression and, mm-hmm. um, and your mental health uh, as a result of that. So can you share um, a bit about that story with us today? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I suffered a serious postpartum depression after the birth of my first child. I was young. I was 19 when I had him. And I, um, we had a support system, but it wasn't the healthiest support system. And I, I didn't realize that until I had my son, we had, we had family, but, um, different situations come up that it's not the support that sometimes it looks like from the outside. Right. And, uh, sometimes when, when we grow up and we're not used to reaching out for help or knowing how to ask for help or realizing that we need support, we can become very alone in what we're going through. And so, um, I was 19. I had dated my husband for a couple of years before we got married and I was pregnant and we're still married 35 years later. It'll be 36 in April. Oh, congratulations. And, That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, and when I found out I was pregnant, I was actually, even though it wasn't planned, we planned on getting married later and I knew it wasn't like the ideal time and it, there would be some dealing with family and everything in my heart. I knew that it was a good thing. I knew that I was blessed to be pregnant and have this. I felt like a mom, like as soon as I knew, you know, they said that it was positive. I feel like you become a mom from the minute that you conceive. And I felt that way. And it was very important to me to take care of myself. Um, I had some, there was some mental health issues in my family right around the time my brother had suffered um, and was, he suffered probably for about 10 years on and off with different issues. So I was very aware of the importance of mental health and was very interested in psychology. And um, throughout my pregnancy, I took very good care of myself. My um, obstetrician was actually extremely impressed, like for my age, like how well I took care of myself. And, um, and I remember reading about postpartum depression in like the pre, you know, the pre-delivery or the um, pregnancy books that you get. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking that something serious, but like, I know I wouldn't get it because I know a lot about, um, you know, different psychology because of what my family had been through. And we did like some family group therapy and so I didn't see myself as being susceptible to it, but I knew that it was significant too, you know, and um, I was aware that if you, that if I did have problems, I needed to let somebody know, um, but I really didn't foresee it being a problem at all. And um, so I had my son in the beginning of October in uh, 1988 and um, it was like, it was like when I, my husband and I got married in April and I remember the next day waking up and just being overwhelmed with joy to tears. Like I just was so happy about my family uh, that we were starting and my husband. And, um, and then when I had my son again, it was the same thing. Like it was just felt like everything in the, the stars in the skies all aligned up perfectly. And I just knew very strongly that I was meant to be his mom and I was so happy and I wanted to be the best mom that I could be. And part of doing that was breastfeeding and um, because I knew how important it was. And, um, but I didn't have support around me that understood what it entailed. So I wasn't aware of the self-care that I really needed, whether I was breastfeeding or not. When you have a baby, it's very important 
that you, you know, you get what you need because it's, it's coming, all of it's coming from you so that what the baby needs, you're giving the baby, but you need to take care of yourself so you don't become depleted. And so I was like doing things like taking care of the baby and then cleaning the house. And um, then I wasn't able to sleep well. My husband was in school full-time and working full-time. So I was pretty much home by myself um, the whole day. And I would like, and a lot of people do this, um, you know, as soon as the baby would make a noise, I would be up, but I didn't really have anybody directing me not to do that or, or giving me advice on how to handle those things. And I didn't have anyone else present in the home with me. Um, I know if I would have called my mom and asked for something or my mother-in-law, but it wasn't like people had come into the home and were helping me in that way. And everybody was working full time and stuff. So it's not that, you know, people are bad because they weren't, but I really was truly all alone for all the time that I was there and very young, you know, um, now because of the research I did, I realized that there are different things that put us at risk for depression. And one of those things is either, either a very young or older maternal age, a lot of changes within a short amount of time, um, history of depression in the family, there's many things that kind of lead up to like a perfect storm. And so probably about, I would say about three to four weeks into the postpartum period, I started not feeling myself and people kept saying, oh, it's just the postpartum blues. And they would tell me like experience that they had But when they would tell me the experience they had, it actually upset me more. Like it wasn't helpful to me. And um, at first when people said it's probably the blues, then I was like, okay, this is probably going to pass then. But then it wasn't passing and it was actually getting worse. And then it seemed like the more that I would turn to people for help or advice, it almost stirred things up even worse. And then because I was not sleeping and um, I had, you know, law, I, I didn't gain a lot of weight, but I had kind of lost a lot of weight in a short amount of time also, and just a lot of change in my life. And um, so I started to feel very depleted and anxious. And that's another thing I've learned um, just from my career in maternal child. Um, postpartum depression, a lot of times is like severe anxiety, and then it's followed by a deep depression. It's not one or the other, and it's not like an ease, it's kind of a sharp increase and decrease. And so I remember feeling very anxious and then not being able to sleep, not being able to eat, um, reaching out for help and people not really being able to help me. And um, just feeling very alone, you know, very alone and concerned because I wanted the best for my son and I wasn't feeling like I was the best, you know, and um, I was very concerned about that. And a lot of, um, I wasn't used to watching a lot of the news because I was going to school before that and I was very active. And so then all of a sudden I was home and I was seeing all these things on the news and you know how that can be. So all negative, you know, television in general can be very much that way. Um, But I remember uh, watching the news and there was a woman who had um, suffered postpartum depression and she killed her child. And I was going through this, I was going through postpartum depression and saw that on television. 
And I never, it wasn't something that I ever contemplated or thought that I would do, but just the thought that the thing that I was dealing with caused somebody else to do that, it really was very alarming to me. And then it ended up stirring up more anxiety. And um, I remember talking to one of my aunts and, um, and again, they were trying to comfort me, you know, like, oh, we've been through that, you know. And she told me that um, she had like postpartum blues or depression, but I don't, it wasn't like she ended up really being medicated or going to the hospital. It was kind of like a temporary thing. And she said that, that at one point she told her husband to put the knife, to hide the knives, you know, because that's how awful she felt. Right. And wow. when I heard her say that, it was just like, oh no, like, we're not going down, like, we're never going to get to that part. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that sounds like it was kind of conflicting because it sounds like they were trying to, they were trying to help. They were good hearted. Right. But it almost, what I'm hearing is that it minimized what you were going through. And then on top of that, then they're, then they're saying, oh, well, now we have to hide the knives. And you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you're saying it's right. not that big of a deal, but we're hiding knives. Right, right. So, and maybe somebody else resilient, their resilience or their way of dealing with things could handle that peace of mind, maybe of feeling a little off. But for me, that was extremely unsettling and probably also be, it would be unsettling for me right now, to be honest with you. But mm -hmm. to be in that state um, and to hear that was very very um it actually be I don't want to say that statement exactly but the all those things added up it became very debilitating for me and um so anyway I did go and um I don't know if it was before that point or after but I did talk to my OBGYN about it and he did um he put me on antidepressants but years ago, you know, they don't kick in for a couple of weeks and they didn't know to put me on any kind of anti-anxiety. They didn't know to say like somebody should be with you, like just for mm -hmm. that comfort, you know? Right. And so I continued really to be home by myself, waiting and hoping these antidepressants are going to work. But in the meantime, continuing to feel worse. And there was a weekend where um, my husband had had gone away with like a, a it was like a father son thing that they did every year and so i was going to stay with my mother-in-law for one night and then stay at my mom's for one night and initially it felt good to be out of the house but then i really felt like i, I don't know how to explain it i felt like i wasn't connecting with them and um, by the time I got to my mom's, um, I my anxiety was like through the roof and I just I just I was in so much pain. I I couldn't take it anymore. So I um, what I did was when our OBGYN actually he didn't put me on the antidepressants. It was a psychiatrist who did that he had referred me to. And so that doctor told me, if you have any problems, you know, contact us. And so we were at my mom's house and we called the psychiatrist. And um, when he, I'm sorry. No, um, not at all. When he had told me the offer that he felt like that I could either stay home and wait longer or else 
he would have me um, go into the hospital to be evaluated. And like, as soon as he said that as an offer, I knew that that's what I needed to do. Like it wasn't, nobody had to talk me into it. Um, I knew as soon as I heard that, that that's what I needed to do. So I think my mom had a hard time with it, you know, because of course it's scary for a, a parent to see you going through that, you know? Exactly. But, um, and my dad was home at the time. Cause one of the things too, is, you know, concerned about, who's going to watch your baby then, you know, mm -hmm. and my dad was there and my dad has always been somebody that I've trusted and admired and loved. So I felt comfortable leaving um, my son with my dad and my mom took me to the hospital. And when I went into the triage and they started asking me questions, the questions they were asking me and the answers that they were giving me and then more questions I just knew I was where I was supposed to be. Like wow. I knew that they knew what was going on. Do you know what I mean? And so even though it was like a long road, I mean, I was there for three weeks. Um, and, but I knew when I got there that this is where I'm supposed to be. And then it was pretty much like, I want to say like the first week and a half to two weeks was literally just me resting. Like I was like, I want to say I was like kind of curled up in a ball in my bed and just kind of like just kind of, I don't know how to explain it. It was just being protected in that space and just um, finding comfort and just being rested. I don't even want to say the word comfort, but it I felt like I was able to rest, you know, like, mm -hmm. and I remember my dad coming to visit me and it was really hard because I've always been a very happy, like, um, positive person. Okay. And, um, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care about the crying if you don't, but I won't do it no. the whole time. <laughs> no, no, this um, is real. This is real. And this is, is yeah. and, yeah. and I, and we, and our voices need to be heard whether yeah. they're accompanied by tears or not, because, yeah you felt alone. And there are women out there who probably still feel alone. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why I'm doing this. And that's why I want them to know that they're not alone. And um, the podcast I'm working on is also for, for younger moms too. So, but anyway, so I'll continue. Um, but I remember my dad coming to visit me and bringing me like a treat. And I think, I think he like expected to see a smile from me. And I can just remember feeling so bad because I felt like I disappointed him because he's he so wanted for me to be happy. And I just couldn't, like, I just didn't have it in me to even smile, you know? And um, that's something I just, that stays with me. I don't know why I remember that, you know? I mean, not that it's bad or good. It's just when somebody is truly in a depression, um you know, they can't just, well, I, I can't speak for other people. I really can't. But for me, I was in a place where I was being cared for and I needed to do what I needed. And I, and I remember getting company and I remember being glad that I had company, but I couldn't contribute much to any of the visits. You know, I was, it was more like they were there coming for me, period, you know. And you have to, and you have to allow that. And I think, yeah. I think we're, we're, we're taught not to do that, especially as moms, yeah, we have yeah. to do everything for everybody else. And, and it sounds to me like you were in a position and you realized that you had to be who you were at the moment. 
Yes. You had to be true to where you were and what you were feeling. And you yep. couldn't put on a facade or a, a, a smile. Right, right. Just because, just because that's right. who you were expected to be. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And um, so, so what happened then um, when I went into the hospital, they, um, they put me on, you know, antidepressant and um, maybe like a mood stabilizer. I don't, I mean, this is, we're talking, this is like 35 years ago now, you know, um, but um, they put me on medication. And then once they had the medication stabilized in my blood system, then I ended up uh, receiving electric shock therapy treatments. And um, I always feel like people think that's so barbaric and it's really not like it's much more common than people think it is. And it was very, when I first started talking about my experience, that part was very uncomfortable, but it's not anymore because I feel like I want people to know about it because it literally changed my life. Like I feel like it saved my life. So, um, and there are risks just like there are risks for anything else that you do. Um, you know, memory loss, which I have a little theory on that, but um, so, so basically I believe they said that I maybe would need six, I could have up to six to eight treatments, but mm -hmm. it actually only took me two treat. I think it was only two treatments that ended up, you know, um, it's like the dopamine and the serotonin in your brain and the, you know, the way that your brain waves are moving, they get stuck into a pattern, basically that's, I guess, the most simple way of saying it. Mm -hmm. And when you go for this type of therapy, it jolts it out of that pattern. And that's why it's able to get you out of the depression, basically. So um, I would go for these treatments. And um, like I said, it was two, maybe three at the most, but for some reason, I think it was only two. But I remember going in an elevator with a whole group of people and we were all going downstairs to have the same treatment and they would get us all prepped and we'd go to sleep and they would do the treatment and I would wake up and be like, where am I? You know, <laughs> and I would call home and be like, mom. And it's funny because I had just been married like six months before that. But I would call home and say, and my mom was working and then my husband was working. And then I would come. It's a funny thing. My brother-in-law remembers this. Um, well, they're not married anymore, but he he remembers because he was home at the time and he remembers me saying, Sean, where am I? What's going on? You know, and so they would tell me and they would go through the details and everything would come more clearer. And then I'd have to wait a couple of days to have another treatment. And then uh, once I had those treatments and was able to be actually more, you know, up and moving around and stuff, I was going to therapies and um I think in the beginning too, I was doing some group and one-on-one -on -one therapy, but I I think it was pretty mild in the beginning because I don't think there was that much I could contribute. Um, right. But once I had the treatments, then I was doing like, um, like they had pottery and like my mom came in and did like this country dance like thing with me. And um, I was able to go to the cafeteria, you know, to eat. And so then I was, I was nervous about coming home because um I thought, well, what if this happens again once I'm home and I'm not be able to take care of my son? And I had this nurse who was incredible. And actually, she's the reason that I'm a nurse today. Um, but she didn't do anything out of the ordinary. All she did was sit with me and reassure me and comfort me 
and tell me that she really believes I'm going to be okay. And if something happens, I know to ask for help. But she just was um, just that calm, supportive voice that I needed to hear. And um, so, so I ended up going home. And I don't know if there's any other questions about the hospital that you have. No, I think I, I think that's a that's a good enough thing. The only the point that I was thinking is that it's funny how we're so quick to accept a mind altering chemical substance that mm -hmm. that's okay, but when we look at electroshock therapy, that's somehow scarier. And oh, I know, you know it, yeah. it's just it's just interesting the way the way that that things work. Um, yeah. So yeah, so. Um, we, uh, I guess we're about halfway through um, our okay. time. So um, yeah, if you want to talk about how you started surviving once you got yeah. home and okay. um, and then move on to what you're doing today. Okay, okay. I just want to say about the electric shock therapy, if people think of it like cardioversion, you know, if someone's heart was in a bad rhythm, they would give them cardioversion and mm, you would never yes. think twice yeah. about that. So mm -hmm. if somebody's ever wondering about that, I just, just want to throw that in there. Um, yes. Yeah, so I came home and, um, I, they didn't actually have counseling set up for me, but, um, my mom helped me find a counselor because I really didn't feel comfortable just coming home and getting back into things. And I didn't know this till later, but my husband, I mean, my husband also had just turned 20, like a month before I was in the hospital and my family had so much going on. Um, there was just a lot of issues that my family was dealing with at the time. And my mother was really afraid of the idea of electric shock therapy and was questionable about whether she wanted me to have it or not, understandably. But my husband, who was only 20, um, met with the doctor and because he was my husband. He was the one that had the final yeah. decision. yeah. Yeah. And he said, this is what the doctor's suggesting. This is what we need to do. And he knew, like, this is not my wife. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So um, so we came home and um, I did do much better than I thought. I mean, I, I was still on medication. So, like, even now, like, if I see a picture of myself, there's, like, one or two pictures I can see in my face. I look a little, like, stiff looking or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I was able to do what I needed to do. And um, so I went to counseling and I stayed on my antidepressant really only for about six months, maybe. And even when um, they thought I was OK to come off of it, I was a little concerned about coming off of it because I didn't know like what was helping me and what wasn't helping me. Exactly. Yeah. So I did go off it and I've never been on antidepressants since then. And um, one of my concerns was um, I met a woman in the hospital that basically told me she, I, I want to say it's almost like a word she used, like a frequent flyer, but like she basically told me she has like four or five kids and every year or two she has, and then she's back in the hospital. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like that's what I have to look forward to. Like, am I going to be, going to the hot and for some people if they have to do that they have to do that you know like right, I'm not saying right. there's anything wrong with that but I also didn't want to get myself in a mindset to like expect that that's what was going to happen and I wanted to do whatever I could to not make that happen if I had a if I had a say <laughs> right no so, that makes good sense yeah so I went off the antidepressants I literally felt like um I don't know if your if your show is Christian based or not, but um, 
I remember reading about Paul and when he was thrown off of the horse and it was like he was made into a new person. And when I heard that a few months after I had this experience, like that's how I felt. Like I felt like I literally felt like I was dead and I was brought back to life. Like I have no other way to describe it. So like when people ask me about electric shock therapy, that's what I tell them, you know, but um, but then it's also a trauma, you know, it's a trauma because it's not something we talk about. And um, so once I got home, went to my counseling, still had a hard time with the fact it happened to me. Like I felt like I was weak. I was less than other people. Um, why did I let that happen or allow that to happen? Why why wasn't I as good as other people? Like these are thoughts that came to my mind. People say, oh, you were young, but then other people that I know were young and that didn't happen to them, you know? So um, I asked my husband, I said, how did you, how did you do that? Like he went to school and worked and he would come to see me every day, like for three weeks, every day. I knew, and I I told this, this, I spoke about this recently and my priest kind of chuckled, but I knew when Cheers was coming on that he was coming, that he was going to be there because that was the time that, that he, that he came and um, then he would go home and, you know, take care of our son and then family babysat, you know, during that time. Um, So I asked him like, how did you get through that? And he said, my mom just told me to keep my faith. And I was just like, that's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it just seemed like too easy, too simple, you know? And um, I did notice when we were dating and in the beginning of our marriage that his family had a more calmer environment in their home. I felt very, I felt very comfortable and safe in their home. And they did, we both grew up Catholic, but his family was practicing. And uh, we went to Catholic school, but our family didn't really practice it together or talk about our faith. But, um, I could see a difference in that. And, um, so when he said that, I thought, you know, my husband can't save me from this happening again. You know, I can't save me from this happening again. My mother can't save me from this happening again. Um, as I started to delve into this, like, faith, like that's it. You know, even though I went to Catholic grammar school and high school, so I had the basis, which was wonderful. And I loved my religion classes and I loved my religion, but I thought that my faith was about being a good person and learning how to be good. I didn't know that it was about us leaning on God and God saving us. You know what I mean? So, um, so once I started reading, uh, I read, um, who Needs God by Harold Kushner, who also wrote Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And I started going to the mass regularly and really listening to the mass and the words and what it was all about. And in the center of the um in the center of the mass, we talk about in the consecration, the priest talks about um, you know freeing us from all anxiety as we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our savior. And when I would see people going into church on Sunday, like lots of people at different churches going in on Sunday, and I would hear that, I'm like, obviously this anxiety thing, this stress thing is not something that's just mine to deal with. Like if they're talking about it at the center of the mass, and I would look at the cross and see Christ and feel comforted that 
he understands. Nobody else maybe understands, but he understands, you know? Yes, he um, And then I did have an experience a couple years into this, uh, coming to terms with my faith and my healing. And it was a priest that met with me twice. The first time he was very comforting, reassuring, prayed with me. And the second time he was a little bit, I don't want to, not stern in a bad way, but very assertive about that you are carrying this burden on yourself. Cause I told him what other people thought about me. And he said, he said, Kathy, you are carrying this burden on yourself. You need to let Jesus take this from you. And wow. yeah. yeah, he said, and he hugged me like, a, you know, men just have that strength, you know, and it was just a very solid, reassuring hug. And he just kept telling me, let Jesus take this from you. Look at the cross. He wants to take this from you. He understands. And I felt like this release um, come from me when that happened. And I remember leaving the church and never feeling burdened by that again. Yeah. That, and I got chills. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, I will like a week. I mean, later that night, I'm like, did that really happen? And then I'm like, huh, that's funny. You know? And then like the next day I'm like, did that really happen? <laughs> and then a couple <laughs> weeks later. And so then, you know, you always in your mind as a parent, you you like, you know, you hope like as you get more time under your belt, you know, and you think, is this going to happen to me again? And then I I thought of the Bible where they talk about forgiven 70 times 77, I think it is, mm -hmm. because that's for us, for ourselves too. You know, when we have shame and guilt. Yes. Um, And that's how I got through that is I felt shame and guilt for having to leave my son. And I know now that I truly he was the he was the reason why I got the help, you know, and he's actually he saved my life in a way because, you know, when we're moms, we want the best for our children. And I think that I didn't second guess getting the help because I wanted the best for him, you know. And um, so when I would feel that guilt or shame start to come, I would just forgive myself again for it. And, you know, now I don't have to do that anymore. But anyway, yeah. Praise so God. That, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. Well, I know that um that you have um a coaching business. Yeah. And um and that may have come out of some of uh some of what you have experienced because now yeah. you can you can inspire and help others. Yes. Um yes. and through theirs. So I also know that you have a very generous offer for our listeners. Yes. Can you can you describe yeah. what you what you yeah. uh, what you have? Yeah. So I offer coaching training and speaking. And the coaching is one-on-one. -on -one. It can be professional or personal coaching. I, I've been doing it for two years. I love it. And um, I feel really good about it. Um, but I offer everybody a free coaching session because I feel that most people have never been to coaching. And until they experience it, then they can make the decision for themselves if it's something they want to do or not. And by people taking a free coaching session with me, they're helping me because even if they decide not to do it, they can tell somebody else about it that might be interested and um, and they can see if it's a good fit or not. So, and there's no, I tell people what the offer is at the end, but there's no pressure. I don't want to force anybody into coaching. <laughs> um, so I don't want people to feel like they're going to come to me and then I'm going to be like pressuring them, calling them. There is none of that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a free session for anybody. It's about 45 minutes to an hour and it uh, uses uh, positive psychology is what coaching is based on. So it uses a lot of um, affirmations, accountability, 
brainstorming, engaged conversation. Um, it's wonderful. And it's really, the, the, the client knows themselves better than anybody. So a lot of it is me really listening and playing back and supporting the client. So, but it, it's incredible. Yeah. And so, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is not just for postpartum depression. You are coaching um, many circumstances, uh, yes. whatever, yeah. whatever the client um, is dealing with. And yeah. so, yeah, so, so you don't have to be going through postpartum depression to be able to yeah. take advantage of, of Kathy oh. Joe's offer. Yeah. And also um, coaching is helping clients move towards positive goals in their lives. So they don't even have to have any kind of crisis or problem to come okay. and see. Me. They may want to um, publish a book or, um, you know, do something, run a marathon or move up in their career or become better at public speaking. So it doesn't have to be anything related. I am not a counselor. So I do have some clients that see a counselor and they see me or they might just come to me to work on goals. So yeah, so it doesn't, I do sometimes work as a stepping stone for some people. Some people feel more comfortable coming to me first and then I may suggest that counseling would be helpful and then they might go to counseling after. So yeah, it can go either way. Well, I love how you're thriving today by using some of the skills yeah. that you learned yeah. in, in your experiences. Because the one thing that I wanted to point out that, that stuck with me while you were talking was, was um, when we when you talked about how you had all these good meaning people giving you, oh, it's just the blues, it's just, and then you felt when you went in to the hospital and you felt, you used the word comforted even though you didn't necessarily want to, but that's kind of yeah. what it, it sounded like that you had that yeah. dichotomy um, mm -hmm. between people who were trying to help well-meaning but didn't, and then you mm -hmm. had these other people who knew exactly what you were going through and exactly mm -hmm. what you needed. Yeah. And then now you can be that for other people. Yeah. Yeah. So I love you. that. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. I really appreciate um, getting to know you a little bit more and having you give us your time and this generous offer of a coaching session. Yeah. And, uh, we really appreciate you. So oh, thank you so much. I thank appreciate you. you too. Have a great night. Thank you too. Okay. Bye-bye. I hope you learned something from Kathy Joe's experiences, especially the importance of seeking help. Part of being a warrior is recognizing when you aren't meant to battle alone. There are battles where we need other warriors to fight alongside us. Postpartum depression is one of those battles. There is no shame in seeking help. Postpartum depression does not make you a bad mom. Seeking assistance helps you be a better mom. Please take advantage of Kathy Joe's offer of a free coaching session. Remember, it doesn't have to be about postpartum depression or even a crisis. If you want some help or coaching with a specific project, this might just be for you. Check out her website at Kathy Joe Lang LLC, and that's C-A-T-H-Y-J-O-L-A-N-G-L-L-C.com. And you can email her for that free coaching session at kathylang716 at gmail.com. And both of those will be in the show notes for you. So until we meet again, fight the good fight, seek beauty, and make your words warrior words. God bless. Psst, are you still listening? Good. I have a favor to ask. 
If you are enjoying these episodes, could you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show? Your star ratings and comments help Apple help other people find me. And that would be so helpful for me and the Warrior Words podcast. I'm reading your reviews on upcoming episodes. Thank you, Warriors. Thank you.